Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We caught up earlier today with Hayden Locke, president of Maramaca Copper. And he talks us through organizing things in 2020 to be able to hit the floor at speed in 2021. And if you want our thoughts and opinions on their plans for 2021, the company itself, and the conversation. You can find that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club, where you can also find detailed company reports. There's commentary from experts from around the world on a variety of commodities and companies, which you might find interesting, plus training courses to help you with your diligence. There's summaries of other interviews that we've done to save you some time. And of course, you can drive a thriving community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other, each other in a safe environment, free from trolling, abuse, and judgment. Wouldn't that be nice? Uh, so go and join them at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. Hayden, how are you doing, sir? Very well. Good to see you. Did you have a good Christmas? Uh, it was an interesting one. You know, coronavirus keeps delivering uh, plenty of interesting twists and turns, but uh, it was it was good. Can't, can't complain. Fantastic, fantastic. And of course, uh, over this side of the pond, we've had a lot of snow. I say a lot of snow. Pathetic than anyone else's standards, but it, it, uh, it changed the mood somewhat, didn't it? Yeah, it's always it's always funny how people get so excited about a little bit of snowfall in the UK. It also causes everything to grind to a halt, which I particularly find amusing. You always want what you can't have. We don't get a lot around these parts. Exactly. Um, well, look, hey, Hayden, we, we haven't spoken since September, I think. Um, so a few things have happened um, within uh, Mario Marquez. So we're going to catch up and talk about that. But before we do, give us a one-minute overview of the business for people in the use of the story, and we'll pick it up from there. Yeah, we're developing the Maramaca Oxide Copper Project, which is in northern Chile, uh, near the regional centre of Antofagasta. We delivered a PEA last year in August, which really highlighted what we describe as very unique characteristics amongst development stage copper assets. Very, very low capital cost of production, meaning that we can finance it because of its location, very low execution risk, um, and really outstanding economics, even at a $3 a pound copper price. And obviously, Given a little bit of a tailwind in the copper universe at the moment, um, our economics look better and better with every day that goes by. Yeah, I think it's saying um, most copper developers and producers are favour at the moment. Um, look, I look back at 2020, and you know, I think for people who want to hear your business plan, strategy, talk about the team and you know the assets in in some detail, then go back to the um, previous uh, conversation we had in September and put the link below. But I'm kind of interested in, you know, what's your take on 2020? Because you're, you're relatively new to the company. You were brought in to be market-facing, help with the financing, uh, those sorts of things. Um, you know, and there's a pretty, pretty well-established team and, 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 you know, that's the PA which suggests, you know, you've got the beginnings of quite a good asset there. But what was 2020 about for you? It was really about resetting the story. I think when I, you know, I had been following the story for quite a while and it was fairly clear that this was going to be quite an interesting copper asset regardless of whether or not the copper price had a run. Uh, and so I was excited about it and I was genuinely surprised at the lack of interest being shown in it from the market. And um, I think that was a variety of reasons behind that. And so 2020 was <clears throat> really about cleaning up the story, um, removing some of those legacy issues that had been surrounding it, you know, a bit of debt off the balance sheet, cleaning it up, rebranding it so that people realise that we're focusing now on a, on a development strategy for Maramaca. Uh, for a slightly larger project rather than our previous strategy of small-scale copper development, um, and then really about delivering the PEA and, and taking us through the next financing to get us prepared for 2021. And 
So 2021, 2020, we actually achieved all of our goals uh, and got ourselves set up. And, uh, and now the work starts again in 2021. It does. It's relentless. You've got to keep going. Um, just on 2020, so what were the things that you think were most important and that you were, you particularly um, pleased with? Because as you say, the, the st- when people do name changes, it's just that it's like we're slightly embarrassed about what went before. Um, the market has a perception which just persists and won't go away. So obviously name change helps, but the fundamentals need to be looked at too. Your balance sheets you talked about with Greenstone, et cetera needed to be tidied up. But what were the things that you, you know, really honed in on and you think will make a difference going forward? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think a name change without the delivery on the execution um, side uh, is completely pointless. And so it was part of a bigger plan, which was forget what had happened in, in the past and and uh, focus on what we're going to do in the future. I think, um, you know, we're, we're very happy with uh, the delivery of the PEA, which showed exactly what we had always known about the Maramaka project, um, which is really that it is a standout project in many ways in the copper industry. I mean, the only aspect that it's really not a standout is in in scale, in terms of its scale. Um, It's still a large project, but it's just not the enormous scale that a lot of investors love to see. Uh, So we're very pleased with our ability to deliver that from a standing start. Um, And then I think really our focus has been on communicating what our value creation strategy was going to be over 2020 and then communicating that effectively as we achieved, as you said before when we were speaking, those baby steps um, that we're taking towards our end goal of becoming a a mid-tier copper producer at some point in the future. You know, there is a lot of work going on in the background and I think we suffered as a company from not telling people what we were doing at regular intervals and showing that we were executing on our business plan. I mean, I mean, to that point, do you think there were lessons learned? Because obviously, you know, people talk about, you know, there had to be a massive rollback, there was dilution, there was like, was that, what was that a factor of? Was it just copper price at the time makes life difficult? Or were there other things that you've, or the company that you have learned from? Um, I think the, the copper price uh, going, you know, being lower than uh, the expectation of the business plan when they started the development strategy definitely, uh, definitely hurts. Um, I think the lessons learned are small scale development strategies are somewhat more challenged. You know, the rule of uh, economies of scale in mining is certainly something that you need to bear in mind. There is a point in time where economies of scale uh, do help you in terms of your economic returns because there are just a significant amount of fixed costs in these business uh, businesses. But I think really the copper price going against the company during that key ramp-up period uh, is, is probably the biggest issue that the company faced. Um, I think we have very much changed that, that mindset and strategy, but it's been driven by the success of our exploration at Maramaka uh, you know, this is a project that is good enough to be developed as a standalone project. It doesn't need to have that bootstrapping uh, strategy to bring it into production. It should be developed as a standalone. Okay, so so let's let's just, if you don't mind, just stick with the kind of copper um, price uh, component because you know you look back over the past couple of decades or even you know three decades or so, copper is a tough one to to call. So what are you going to have to do? to fail safe your project? Because as you say, it's, it's of a certain size. It, it's, it's, it's good, but copper projects, people tend to see as, you know, large capex, large scale uh, operations. You've got a, a relatively low capex, sort of low entry point, but, you know, people will expect more. So exploration is going to deliver so much of that. 
What else can you do? Well, I mean, in terms of the project itself, it is uh, one of these very rare projects that is developable, developable regardless of the copper price. So if you look at the PEA results at a $2.50 a pound copper price, we're talking a 20% IRR. You know, obviously, it helps if the copper price goes up, but from a purely economic and financing perspective, uh, it is one of those very rare projects that doesn't really need the copper price to incentivise it to be built. Um, and that is a very rare thing in the copper industry. We've seen some of our analysts do uh, benchmarking work across the copper universe, and it shows that there are very few projects with these sorts of economic metrics. So in many ways, it's future-proof itself by just being an outstanding economic asset. Obviously, we'd like it to be bigger, and so we are. 2021 is very much about focusing on exploration and growth and, and trying to uh, find things that will take us into that next tier of, of copper projects. Um, and then really doing the fundamental technical work to make sure that we de-risk the future execution of this project um, is paramount for us. And so we continue to do metallurgical testing. Our final phase of met testing is underway right now. That will be delivered in the first half of this year. We'll do a feasibility study on that project, which is about a, a little bit more engineering. Um, we're going to continue to do the environmental and permitting work. So we're gradually, as you say, taking those steps towards uh, the point in time where we're shovel ready and, and ready to start building this, this project. Okay, well, well, let's talk about the um, all of the different steps and the order of play for 2021, because we've got lots of questions in about that. Because why I want to understand that is because if I look at your share price, you haven't really moved because you haven't really done too much since we last spoke. Uh, it's popped up a little bit. Um, you've got, it's got a strange scenario where your institutional holding is, you know, significant. Um, you know, the recent raise may have helped with that in terms of liquidity, et cetera. But it'll only get going once people start seeing what you're going to be able to deliver. So if you don't mind, talk us through how you see 2021 playing out. So at this stage, we're, we're all, uh, all hands to the pump on the exploration side. So we've got teams on the ground doing uh, surface geochem, uh, geological mapping. We're out doing IP surveys to the two targets further to the north from Maramaka. Um, we have done IP surveys at Maramaka. We're just finalising that information. And, you know, we're hopeful that we'll release that to the market in the next week or two. Uh, so there's a lot of work that's going on on the ground, really leading up, us up to the point where we start drilling our first drill holes in these in these targets. Um, we're expecting that the drill contractors will be mobilised by the end of the month or in the first week of February, uh, which is around the time that we guided, um, you know, COVID, uh, COVID not becoming an issue between now and then. Uh, and so we, we will certainly be drilling uh, the Maramaka sulphide target, i.e. the extension, the sulphide extension below Maramaka itself, followed by one or two of the northern targets uh, by the end of the first quarter of this year, we would expect. Um, so there is going to be a lot of exploration news flow in the first uh, first six months of the year. Okay, but you've raised this 20 million, well, just shy of 29 million Canadian uh, in early December. How much are you allocating? What's the time frame? So initial first pass drilling program where we're looking at four million US dollars. Uh, obviously, we have more money than that available for um, drilling, but the way that we're going to do it is, uh, you know, as I always say, it's a gating process. So we spend a little bit to start, get some information, and then reassess where we're going to uh, continue to spend money. Um, and so, you know, four million dollars is our initial budget for that. We do have a, a number of land payments uh, and option payments due this year, so there's budget set aside for that. How much? Uh, and then. Uh, ten, about $10 million for the year in terms of option and land payments. 
And so it is quite significant in terms of the the budget that we have today. Right. So what is okay? That's the sort of long standing thing. What um, and so and what, what's is that towards the end of the year or is it throughout the year? How does it work? It's throughout the year, but it's majority uh, back ended towards the third and fourth quarter. Okay. So what is, what do you think four million bucks is going to get you in terms of putting that in the ground? So. Um, in terms of meterage, we're looking at, uh, call it about 12,000 metres in, in total, um, maybe slightly less than that, of which we'll split 6,000 metres of the Maramaca sulphide target and then 6,000 metres to the targets to the north of the uh, Maramaca sulphide target on Mercedes and uh, Cindy and Janos. Right. And so what does that what does that do? What exactly are you going to do? Because your, your PA is, let's say, it's, it's good. To get the feasibility done, you're going to, I guess, have to um, tighten up on, on a bit of a few of those uh, numbers. What precisely are you doing? So the, the objective of this exploration program is we, we believe that there is obviously something potentially significant sitting below Maramaca. So the, the objective of the first phase of drilling is really to give us an idea of, of whether or not, you know, several of the drill holes that we drilled in previous campaigns went through the bottom of the oxide project and into the sulphide zone. And there were some very interesting drill holes in there, which we've never gone back and tested or followed up. Uh, so, you know, we're going back to test that and, and work out whether or not there is going to be something that is potentially economically interesting for us, something that can really increase the scale of this project. What we know about deposits in this region is the oxide is typically a, a relatively small portion of the overall system. And, uh, and so if we, if like in many of the other big projects in this area, there is a, a meaningful sulphide uh, uh, extension, it really could take this project from being a decent sized project into something that is really quite large and quite exciting from a new discovery perspective. Um, and then to the north, the objective is very much focused on oxides first. And the reason we're focused on oxides is from a strategic perspective, uh, if we find more oxides, then that can immediately come into the development strategy of the Maramaca project. Whereas if, if we find sulphides, then it meaningfully changes our development strategy. Capital costs go up, uh, potentially. The, uh, the treatment process is completely different. And so we would need to uh, think about how we would change our development strategy. So we think that in those northern targets, uh, finding a meaningful oxide at surface uh, really has the potential to add significant value in relatively short order. So it's very much uh, Maramaca sulphide depth extension first, followed by oxides in the north. Then uh, there's several other oxide targets that we'd like to go and drill as well. Right. And obviously for you, that kind of keeps the, keeps the cost down. Um, and in terms of making yourself attractive to people looking at you, potential partners, we'll call it, or, you know, take, whether it be takeover or whatever, um, so you, it's in your control as to what you go and hunt around and, and look for. So given that you're chasing oxides, does that tell us that you want to get into production yourselves and you're not going to be talking to other people? Um, I think we certainly wouldn't rule out talking to other groups. And I think given that this is one of only two uh, new copper discoveries made in the world in the last five years, we are obviously on everybody's radar because uh, everyone wants to know whether or not this is going to get significantly bigger. And so we'll continue to have conversations with uh, people in the industry um, and we'll continue to uh, talk, mainly because we know that as we develop this and potentially find something new, um, having different sources of financing uh, available to us potentially benefits our shareholders. So we'll continue to keep our options open. 
Um, but yes, as a company, we are very mindful of the fact that we need to have uh, a team in place and the objective in place of taking this project into production ourselves. Uh, and whether or not that happens is will be dictated by uh, our major shareholders and the market to a certain extent. What have they got the stomach for? Because obviously Greenstone have been in this a while, right? And I know you've got Michael Hawthorne as chairman. Um, how much are they driving the strategy? And you know, how much is the operational team driving the strategy? I mean, how do you, how do those guys work? Because obviously Greenstone, you know, they're invested in a lot of things at the moment. They're, they're, they're stretched. So how do you guys work out the best course of action to suit other shareholders, not just Greenstone? That's exactly the conversations that we're having at the board, which is you know presenting multiple different value creation strategies uh, so that we're not going down a single strategy and, and, and thereby not extracting full value out of what is an exciting asset for us. Um, in terms of Greenstone's involvement, I mean, they're an incredibly supportive shareholder. They've been I mean, you remember at the start of last year, the start of the pandemic, pandemic, they thought they gave us along with Tembo a working capital facility, which really kept us uh, alive and stopped us from having to do a significantly dilutive capital raise when we were trading at about a dollar a share, um, and then subsequently led us to be able to get into this capital raise at three dollars fifteen a share. So really, um, very helpful. Um, they are a voice in, in the board and a shareholder that we obviously uh, listen to, but they're certainly not dictating the strategy in terms of how the company moves forward. Um, and, you know, we spent a lot of time at the end of last year with the board discussing the various permutations of strategy that will come about as a result of uh, either positive or, or negative exploration results and how we go about uh, creating additional value. Um, and I think... At this point in time, there's nothing set in stone because what we know is it's a movable feast based on whether or not we have exploration success. So what are the, what are their drivers then? What are their expectations of the company? Because, you know, they, like I say, they, they've they've invested in a lot of other companies and we're, we're very conscious of the kind of conversations they ran with other companies around that time when they were giving you a six million facility. They were doing that for other companies. So it, it, things became quite tight uh, for, for them. Did they take any part of this 29 million bucks that you did recently, or nearly 29 million bucks you did recently? Yeah, they did a significant uh, amount of it, slightly less than their uh, than their total um, their total preemptive right. Uh, they remain a very supportive shareholder. Uh, what what is their long term objective? Well, obviously they're a private equity fund with a with a closed ended fund, and so at some point they will need a liquidity event. Uh, but what my discussions with them has shown is that they're very open-minded about how that how they achieve that result. And, uh, you know, the easiest solution for them is obviously a cash buyer comes over and offers to buy out their, their stake. Um, but there are multiple other, uh, I guess, strategic options available to us as a company to create value for them and also keep our destiny uh, in our own hands. Um, and we're certainly seeing that in a rising copper price environment, those opportunities are increasing, not decreasing. So we're, we're pretty excited about 2021. We're very excited at the fact that we have an amazing asset from which to leverage ourselves into uh, more value creating opportunities. It's about me getting out and finding those opportunities and presenting them to our, our shareholders and showing them that you know, there are ways that we can we can control the asset and, and continue to create value. Okay, well, well let's talk about that because last time we talked about you know liquidity was one of your issues because you had so much institutional. It's kind of bizarre. You've come at it sort of 
volte face uh, in, in a way. Um, so have you been able to bring more retail into the story as a result of this recent race? Uh, a, a little bit more retail as a result of the recent race, certainly more retail interest buying in, um, but uh, the, the the capital raise was not uh, of the scale that, that we really needed to bring in a lot of retail. Um, so I think the, the, there is still work to do on the on the liquidity side. There's still work to do on the uh, on the you know continuing to improve the register more from a uh, from an ownership perspective than than anything else. Uh, optically, you know the market likes uh, a little bit more free float, and um, so that's what we're targeting to do. Um, we then juggle that, I guess, with our ongoing need for financing and, and the fact that, um, you know, we need to we need to find reasonable levels of financing from long-term supportive shareholders. So a um, bit of a catch-22, but, you know, we continue through the struggle. Yeah, always, always a catch-22. So so what are you going to do about it in 2021? There's, you've got you've got enough capital to do what you, you need now, right? But at, at some point, once some of these, this, some of this information comes through, you're going to, you've got a different sets of decisions to make. And I guess you're going to tell me you've got lots of options about how you raise capital in the marketplace. So should people look if green if Greenstone are part of the solution, and if they do sell down to help with liquidity, that that should be seen as as a, as a positive sign. You're going to say rather than an overhang, they're supportive. Well, I don't think you'll see them sell their shares, um, but they just may not elect to uh, invoke their preemptive rights on any future capital raises. So I don't think there's any risk of Greenstone going out into the market and starting to to sell their shares because you know I think I can safely say that this is perceived by Greenstone to be one of their best assets in their portfolio, and um, so they continue to be. Uh, I, I continue to have to fight them off putting more money in <laughs> rather than the other way around. Uh, so I think, yes, you would perceive it as a positive. Um, they've already followed their money once. Uh, and, you know, I think they recognise that bringing in new supportive long-term shareholders is, is beneficial to the company as a whole. Okay. So you, you must have a view of the copper price and the copper market for 2021 or, or longer. So, so what do you think is going to be happening this year? Is there going to be any pullback? Uh, I think, I mean, I've been surprised at how quickly it's moved. I mean, it's just been incredible. I think I, I said, you know, in, in September, I, I was surprised at how quickly it had moved and it carried on. You know, everything that I'm reading is suggesting that uh, 2021 is an extremely bullish year. Um, you know, I, I have always kept in mind that uh, the trend is your friend in these sorts of uh, these sorts of things. And so I got ex- I'd expect a bit of strength to continue um, in 2021, how bullish am I? Or I remain bullish on copper, but do I expect this kind of strength to continue, or you know, higher than this for uh, 2022 and 2023? Potentially, potentially a little bit of a pullback, more of a normalisation, get us back to the levels that we're at today. If we see a, a really strong spike in prices this year, um, but I certainly think we're going to see copper prices north of three dollars for quite a while just based on all of the information that I'm reading and um, and the increasing levels of demand. Obviously, changing government in the US uh, and, and a change in and a, and a control of the upper and lower house, allowing them to put out this green stimulus bill. I mean, who knows what impact that's going to have, but um, it all points to a fairly positive outlook for copper. Okay. Um, well, Hayden, like, thanks very much for the update. I, I'm, I'm kind of keen to follow your story this year because I I think you're right. 2020 was about housekeeping, getting ducks in a row, whatever cliche you want to throw at it. Okay, so looking forward, you know, what are the things 
you think people should be looking for, uh, which are going to really make a difference to your share price? Because if I look back over the last nine months, it hasn't really moved. You know, you saw a big, big pops of June, July last year, but it hasn't really moved since then. People are waiting for the next thing. So what do you think that is? Well, the, the biggest items are all exploration. We, uh, we have multiple targets that we will be drilling in the first half of this year. And uh, each one of those presents an opportunity for us to make a significant difference to our, to our share price. And, you know, I'd, I think it's safe to say that if we drill one or two or three very good holes in any of those targets, um, you'd be hard pressed to see these sorts of levels again. Um, so we are very much on the exploration focus. There will continue to be news flow um, from the development side, you know, the, the, obviously the uh, final phase of MET testing and all of that, but it's not going to be as important as the exploration. So really keep an eye out for our exploration results, which should start flowing uh, at some point in, in towards the end of Q1, early Q2, I expect. Okay, fantastic. Um, we'll extend touch. Let's know how you get on with things, especially with the drilling. I think people are excited to see what you guys can do. Um, so I'll uh, speak to you soon. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.